Okay, we are rolling. So back by popular demand, um, Ben Cousins from uh, good old Lake Star Ventures. Uh, first podcast we did together was um, was uh, was you know, I think the I don't think it was the most listened to. I think it was the second most. Maybe we can we can change it on this one. But um, yeah, it was very very well received. A lot of people were were excited about the topics that we talked about and. Um, Actually, the whole point of the podcast was to talk about, you know, yes, it was to talk about technology and trends and metaverse and stuff, but we actually really wanted to get into into uh, into Bitcoin, and we we didn't even, I think we touched on it for for the we end. We got sidetracked, but, um, yeah. <laughs> we got sidetracked a bit, as we tend to do on on uh, on calls. Um, so what we're gonna do on this one then, um, as I as I mentioned there, the intro is like really explore um, uh, Bitcoin. And gaming, but but I guess more importantly, Bitcoin and gaming, or Bitcoin, you could say, in gaming potentially. Mm-hmm. Um, and as is uh, as is kind of the tradition on uh, on on sneakers to the metaverse, we always start with you know a a Marvel kind of Marvel origin story. And since we're talking about Bitcoin, I thought it would be kind of cool to to just kind of briefly go into both of our individual kind of first uh, what you call taking the the orange pill. As a, as a as a shout out to the Bitcoin colors, um, and so uh, I thought we could kind of tell our stories about how we took the orange pill. Um, I'll be bitty, be brief. I mean, this is uh, kind of wanted this to be your your time to shine and and in taking us through a lot of your your thoughts on on Bitcoin and gaming. But um, for me, I actually got into Bitcoin very early. Uh, luckily, um, in in California. Um, you know, very early on, uh, listening to uh, listening to my dad, um, who who definitely has a libertarian streak and a libertarian bent, and is very interested in technology and hacking culture and all that, and you know, actually got into it discussing the the Bitcoin white paper um, in 2010. I think that it was is late, early. Yeah, that is early. late late 2010, and. You know, as somebody that was, you know, a fan of of Cryptonomicon, is my is my all time favorite uh, novel. Infinite Jest is a close second, but um, you know, actually, I should say Snow Crash is a close second. Infinite Jest is a close second uh, as my third favorite. But novels, um, but yeah, it was, you know, this this notion of digital cash, and of course, like in California, there's you know, there's there's a lot of a lot of a lot of people who are often talking about digital cash, and so. Um, I really tried to just get into it as deeply as I could. And then I, you know, I, my very first um, startup, you know, we actually were using our incubators electricity to do mining. Um, so we were mining Bitcoin very early. Um, and it was when you could actually do it from a couple computers and still, you know, still make the real deal. Make, uh, yeah, OG it was the real mining. Yeah. And it nice. was OG. I mean, and, so we, you know, we built up a quite a nice stash of it, and then, um, and then we got caught using electricity, and, and we had to kind of shut down our, our huge operation of <laughs> of, of my laptop, um, and and actually, and I guess it was a desktop the other one that we were using, um, and then and then I ended up moving over here. I moved here to Germany, and and my second startup, my my co-founder and I were also very interested in Bitcoin, and we 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 were very close to starting the in 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 the state that I live in in Germany. There was already a Bitcoin ATM um, uh, in Berlin. There were a couple over there, 
And we were thinking about, it was like five grand. We were thinking about just doing an investment and putting one here in Dusseldorf or putting one in Amsterdam. Um, because at that time, this was around 2014, 2015, you could actually pay in Amsterdam with, with Bitcoin in, in many places. Mm-hmm. In fact, I, I paid for a dinner for, for my wife and I, and then her cousin and his family. I bought a, a what is now an extremely it's not it's not you know the Bitcoin pizza level <laughs> expensive but you know it was a, it was actually now a very expensive meal that we had in Amsterdam, um, <laughs> but um, I did pay with Bitcoin there. So um, and then um, and then uh, you know I kind of I continued to be extremely interested in it. I read basically everything I could find uh, on Bitcoin, and then when Ethereum came out, I you know, I, I started to explore that as well. Um, tried to learn, you know, some solidity and writing smart contracts, and and then you know, really got into the NFT stuff. And then, as many of you know, uh, listeners know here, started a company called SneakerCrypt, which was you know, which is now Aglet. Um, so my you know my crypto roots uh, go deep, and my first love and my kind of my only love at this point is Bitcoin. Um, and so that's kind of my you know my origin story. Kind of grew out of just that those early communities and just knew that there was a there there and you know i think a lot of the stuff that we'll talk about we'll explore what what that is at least you know for for newcomers to the topic that maybe are getting into it now for the first time because of this nft boom um but then also people who've been in it for a while that are also wondering like what's actually going to be the you know the quote-unquote killer app that they call that they always refer to, but what's actually going to be like the first kind of killer utility of this beyond it being, you know, just kind of a store of value or, you know, as it's called digital gold, we think you and I think that that's gaming. Um, Could well be. There's a lot, yeah. of, lot of very interesting stuff out there. So that's my story. I'll pass it on to you now to take the, uh, take the orange pill. Yeah. Your, your uh, credentialization is far, far better than mine, far more authentic. I was, um, I was introduced to, Bitcoin by a, cl- a very close friend of mine, Argentinian chap, um, in 2015, it must have been. Um, we were living together. We had a flat share. And uh, he told me one evening, and I remember I just totally dismissed it out of hand. I was like, yeah, that's, that sounds like baloney. And I think I had um, <laughs> heard the word Bitcoin before on the internet, you know, usually associated with um, piracy, file sharing, hacking, etc. So like... I was just like, mm, whatever. Uh, but I wasn't, clo- I wouldn't describe myself as closed minded. So I was, he, mm. he was very insistent that it couldn't be hacked and I hadn't done any research. Um, so he, you know, he was kind of like, well, you should just try it. And I, I did. I went and bought, I think it was like 10 pounds worth of, of Bitcoin um, at the time. Mm. And the light bulb moment for me was he had me open a, blockchain uh, then blockchain.info wallet and send my bitcoin there to get it off the exchange and it was in sending a transaction that uh everything just lit up for me like the light bulb went mm. on in my head yeah. um i really i i realized more fundamentally that this was using cryptography that this was peer to peer um and i used to be in my in my teenage years uh like many of my age group a savage music pirate on BitTorrent and I had uh, yeah uh, and I had um, so I and I, I had a good awareness of P2P network resilience because of that right like 
BitTorrent mm. still going well today? And uh, how's that Pirate Bay shutdown going for law enforcement? Right. <laughs> you know, it's, it's really, really resilient. And I just realized, oh, wow, this isn't going to turn off. Like this, this, isn't, this network's just going to keep on trucking if, uh, if people are interested in it. So the question is just how interested are people going to get? Mm. Um, and obviously I got quite into it at that point. Then there was the, the 2017, uh, mania. Uh, mm. and I remember at one point I, I worked in investment banking back then. And I remember going into our office in New York, we used to do a holiday party and, uh, we would the whole, everyone from every office would be flown in. It was, it was awesome. And, um, I gave a presentation on decentralization and why I thought, uh, Bitcoin was a big deal. And we were, I was then walking to go and get a haircut. Uh, and one of my colleagues at work was telling me that this thing called um, Ethereum Blue had come about and that that was going to, that I had to buy that quickly before it overtook Ethereum and then before it overtook Bitcoin and became like the mega token. And uh, I remember that was my first kind of experience of, hmm, there's uh, this might be a bubble. And then I, I went on that same walk to the hairdresser. I sat down with the hairdresser and he was talking to me about having heard about Bitcoin, but he was mm. buying Litecoin, uh, the logic being because it was cheaper so he could get more of it. And uh, so I went back home and I sold. <laughs> I sold <laughs> most of my holding because I was like, yeah, no, this is, uh, this is definitely, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it was, it was life-changing. I, uh, I cleared all my, I cleared all my student debt. I cleared all, I cleared all debt that I had. Um, mm. And I still had uh, money left over. So my family had an excellent Christmas that year. Mm. And uh, then the kind of the block war kicked off. I, I still had like a trivial holding in Bitcoin and I, I was kind of reading about Bitcoin Cash and Bitcoin, uh, whatever other Bitcoin fork there was at the time, and um, started looking into Ethereum, which I also had some of. Uh, but when it when Bitcoin then survived the fork wars, as there as it were, and Segwit was adopted and stability began to reign over the protocol in some way, shape, or form, uh, it was around that time. Coincidentally, I think that the Lightning uh, white paper came out and I read that and I'm not very technical, but I read it and I, I got it in abstract. And um, I then again had this kind of what I can only describe as like a mental epiphany again, where I was like, oh, yeah, that's going to work. Now it's just when's the Lightning Network going to deploy on the Bitcoin mainnet and have massive utilization um, that I believe is happening right now as we speak. Um, but it takes a couple of years in open source development for these things to hit the mainstream. So um, mm. I kind of just, I, it was at that point that I again doubled down on Bitcoin, um, really became very, very much more interested in, in uh, it as money and began to believe that it is genuinely money. Um, and I started to look into the kind of energy usage, the programmability of it. Um, I, I've, I've come to believe that proof of work is astounding in in terms of as a, as a mechanism of uh of orchestrating you know mass, a massive amount of adversarial people uh, i think it, i think it is stronger than proof of stake i i think that it's mm. very telling that uh, all of the other chains as it were have moved to proof of stake or abandoning proof of work um 
my view is that in fact building out web3 is ironically truly the process of building out new physical infrastructure that actually building money on the internet requires data what well, the equivalent of data centers bitcoin mining farms masses of them all over the place and uh, and it's not that dissimilar to the internet, right? Cables were laid under the sea. We just forget yeah. about that. It's not exciting. Um, but that was what was done. And I think we're doing the same thing. And then we're going to have money on the internet and it's going to be native and inherent to the internet. And uh, all of us are going to use it. And uh, no one's, everyone and no one is going to control it. And that is just mm. astoundingly incredible. And I still right. think it is not appreciated properly today. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's that's probably a good segue here, um, because one of the reasons that it's probably not appreciated is that money is one of these things that um, uh, I guess to foreshadow a little bit how you'll <laughs> how I'll pass this over to you. But money is very much like time um, insofar as, you know, I think it was August St. Augustine um, in the confessions is like, everybody knows what time is. Uh, and then you ask somebody to tell, you know, what is time? And then they trip over the words. They have no idea how to actually mm -hmm. explain time. Money is also one of those, one of those things. It's like, we all, we all know what money is. We all pay for things. I pay for things on the internet, um, through, you know, through a card, through PayPal, through, you know, my, my Revolut account, um, you know, through with Aglet, you know, like yep. there are, um, with, you know, Robux, uh, whatever. It's like, we're, we're paying with things online. We're using money constantly. Mm -hmm. But when you actually ask someone, you know, what is money? Um, most people don't, they'll point to like some empirical object, like a, like a dollar bill or a pound or a, you know, a, a year, a five euro or something like that. I, I actually yeah. recall the, um, the first Bitcoin documentary that I saw on Netflix, I, I forgot what it's called, but I think I told you about this once in one of our, one of our calls was, uh, it was like 2013 or 14 or something. One of the guys was um, standing outside um, of the, uh, I, I don't, I think it was at the, where was that actually? It's outside of Wall Street somewhere. And, and um, he was trying to give away Bitcoin. <laughs> and a woman sort of, you know, got in her purse and brought out a $10 bill and was like, you know, you can keep your digital money. Cause I got this good old, good old American dollars right here. You know, yeah. come back to me in 10 years with your Bitcoin. Uh, the <laughs> ho, people. Ho. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's one of those, it's one of those things like, like the internet, you know, the it, it crowd, you know, the, the, mm -hmm. the famous internet example of where the internet is the, is that little cube. Um, same thing with money, right? It's like, I think most people don't really appreciate the complexities of money. And, you know, in that NFT article you had shared with me, the, the, the Dan Held article that, you know, NFTs as a process or like money is as a, a money as a process. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I recall you saying, um, and we had a, a very interesting discussion around it was that, that, uh, money is time or time is money. Um, yeah, that the uh, the old age saying. Yeah, it's. Uh, yeah. I think it's very true. I think it's very true. And I think Bitcoin makes time, uh, money being time and money being energy one and the same. Right. It's it, it is yeah. a. When 
because I believe it's when, um, when central banks uh, have all bought or admitted to buying, because I think some of them have already done so, uh, stashes of Bitcoin, they, the network, the money will decentralize because nation states will all collectively race to own some of it. And the way that this will coordinate global effort I think will be quite astounding because I think it. I think that's what it does, right? Even the um, the Norwegian billionaire CEO of Acca, who wrote that beautiful shareholder letter on founding CT, um, he's realised this as well. That this is this is like a, a one of the most. It, it's not. Uh, its energy consumption is is incredibly efficient. It's it, it, it's actually entirely possible that that is the case, and I, I I believe that this is a means of storing energy and giving it a liquid price. So that when we want to allocate our energy and therefore implicitly our time to something, we can use Bitcoin to do that, right? I will pay or send Bitcoin to something I want to see done. And if you are, you know, if you look at things that have typically had huge collective action problems uh, in the world because of national interest versus common interest uh, and things like that, the this is an this is an astounding means of cooperation and i think it it poses really really promising a really promising future for dealing with climate change for coordinating space travel you know all of the anything that requires nation states to stop competing with each other and actually to start collaborating with one another can be facilitated by a currency that none of them own right or none of them mm. have control over that is the yeah. really important thing no one has control over it at the nation state level. Uh, and that, that is, I think that's going to prove really quite astounding for humanity. We haven't, we've never been in a situation like that, um, really. I think maybe as Nick Batir points out, you know, we had this period of 400 years where the florin was the dominant reserve asset, um, which is, you know, incredibly enlightening. Strongly agree with that perspective and, and his perspective on monetary pluralism's uh, likely failure as well. Um, but it, it, I think it also signifies that th these events are very rare, but when they do, they can last centuries and, and they can be really, really quite powerful for humanity. And, you know, back in the Florin times, as it were, uh, glo the global economy was tiny. It was trivial, right? This was mainly in, in uh, white Western Europe, um, as far as I can tell, uh, or as far as I remember. This will be in, a, in the global financial system instantly with network effects and the internet. So the the I think the exponential growth curve of its adoption will be will again catch people by surprise in the same way that the internet did. One of the most interesting discussions that we've had, uh, at least for me, um, the past couple of months was when we were um, we were talking about the uh, the um, petrodollar. Yes. And you you had sent me and and you kind of explicated a little bit the kind of the argument that was made by uh, Lynn Alden. Um, mm -hmm. and, and that sent me on this, like, you know, definitely sent me down the rabbit hole of looking into Saudi Arabia and looking into petrodollars and just kind of the whole ecosystem of how that works, which then gets you into like, you know, demand for certain currencies and like currency price and all of that. Could you, could you expand on that a little bit just for the people who, who, who maybe don't know, you know, petrodollars <laughs> and just that, that whole thing. Um, because I, I do think that 
this is it's one of the more compelling frameworks i think yeah and, and if and if we think of like you know discussion and you know a podcast is like a space to think or even you know creating a space where people can go off and explore something that's like very high entropy you know like very very new to make you almost a whole new lens on how to look at the world i thought that that those articles and our discussion there was 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 for me very very insightful and opened up a whole new avenue to explore that i hadn't really considered i mean i i obviously i've looked into you know saudi arabia and you know i've always said like the even recently the secrets of sand hill road the the scott uh cooper book was like you know the main secret of the sand hill is that you know saudi arabia you know it remained a secret actually that just saudi arabia and the sovereign fund wasn't even mentioned in the book mm-hmm. um and so anyway I, it was i was i'd be interested to, to see if you could if you wouldn't mind uh I can, I can try re- my re- best. Rehashing that okay. a little bit because it's, I think it, it's, uh, it's pretty amazing. Yeah, I can, I can, I can try my best to give some sort of Cliff Notes version. This is, it's not um, the easiest thing to explain. I'm probably going to do a terrible job of it. Yeah. But to, we'll um, link to the articles in the, in the show notes. Yeah, I think the, the interesting thing about where this comes from. So Lynn Alden's an investment analyst. She, she is a uh, Bitcoiner, or at least she is vocally supportive of Bitcoin. But actually, this article that she did, which is called the the fraying U.S. petrodollar system, is um, to the best of my memory, it's not really about Bitcoin at all. It's about it's about petrodollars. And um, you know, I think next time someone tells you that Bitcoin is destroying the planet, uh, ask yourself or ask them what backs the dollar. And to the best of my knowledge, apart, you know, someone will say the Fed. I think what backs the dollar is oil, right? The dirtiest fuel of them all. Um, and it stems from the fact that uh, post Bretton Woods, um, when the US dropped the gold standard uh, and we moved to an entirely fiat system, you know, how the US is in this, is in this position of having to uh, pay for everyone's trade deficits in what's called Triffin's Dilemma, I believe, from memory. I'm going to, I'm really trying not to do a bad job of this. Um, but the, to justify some of that value, what the US did was a deal with uh, energy producers, because en- as we've just said, money can be energy and time. Uh, and they went to the Middle East, where there's a lot of oil, and they did a deal with Saudi Arabia, where you can own, they, the Saudi Arabians can only sell the oil they produce in dollars. So if you're in France or Germany or Japan and you want to buy oil, you have to pay in dollars. You cannot pay with yen or euro. Uh, you have to change those, those currencies into dollars first. And this, of course, props up demand for the dollar, which has uh, been the global reserve currency for decades now. Uh, but simultaneously, US share of global GDP is falling. And so the ability, sorry, I live in Stab Central. Yeah, they're coming for you now. (laughs) I've I've troubled the state. Uh, (laughs) Exactly, get the tinfoil hat out. Um, (laughs) But no, uh, where was I? Yeah, no, if if, um, the US's ability to, what she posits in this piece and what she presents, and I found it a very compelling argument, is that the US's ability to maintain dollar dominance in a world where its share of global GDP is falling because of rising emerging economies and, and of course, China, um, this this is starting to have weak weaker knees than it used to. Before, America could invade countries that 
chose to sell oil in their own currency. And that is suppo- supposed by some to be one of the root causes of the invasion of Iraq. Um, but I don't want to get into sort of the conspiratorial nature of it. What, what Lynn presents, I think, is a very coherent argument that demonstrates where dollar weakness arises in the macroeconomic system and why one may uh, not want to blindly believe that dollar dominance will persist long into the future. Um, And given that the dollar is effectively what holds up all of the other currencies because of the way the fiat system has worked since being decoupled from gold, um, you know, you're you're going to be faced with a choice of uh, probably renminbi becoming a dominant global currency and potentially a reserve asset, which is going to be fraught with geopolitical considerations. Uh, it won't. In, I don't feel like it could be the euro, and therefore, you know, what are central banks going to do? They they may have to back themselves with um, with gold again, or of course, you have the neutral option of Bitcoin. And I do believe that it's a very compelling argument as to why one should question money and think about money, and, and indeed, getting into cryptocurrency and Bitcoin does force you or oblige you in some way, shape, or form over time to think about what your money really means and and what money really is. It changes your time preference, as Bitcoiners like to say. Um, yeah. yeah, and I think you can see that dollar, that this, the kind of petrodollar system bubbles up in all kinds of ways in in today's world. And, and I do believe that, you know, as, as you have mentioned as well, that th- Bitcoin comes from a very counter-cultury place. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I, I do believe that you can draw a straight line through history from um, Bretton Woods, to occupy Wall Street, and that you know the, this 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 kind of counterculture element stems from a deep-seated awareness that one is not in control of of one's destiny with one's own money, mm. um, that it can be debased. And we've seen several incidences in the last in the turn of the 21st century of of really radical debasement of 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 money that has made people question things. And you know, it's it's no coincidence that. Uh, the Genesis block of the Bitcoin blockchain contains the the legendary reference to the chancellor on the brink of a second bailout, right? This is, it all ties together. And it it suggests to me that um, whoever was behind Satoshi Nakamoto was actually far, far more farsighted than uh, they were originally given credit for. Yeah. And I think this goes back to the, you know, the very opening of this, uh, of, of, of what we're talking about here, because it's the, it's it's that question of of what is money and i think often we just view it as this simple means of exchange and we don't really consider the extent to which it kind of structures you know everything <laughs> you know yeah, and, and um, i think the interesting thing there is right like the our money today pounds euros dollars you know, they all um, gained that medium of exchange quality from being effective stores of value in the past when they were backed by something, by gold, most in most cases. And the in the context of monetary history, and this is again, you know, with a nod to Nick Batier's work, um, the fear experiment is very short lived. Right. If you look through history, it's, you know, the fiat currency, the idea of money backed by nothing is decades old versus money being backed by gold, etc., is hundreds of years old. 
and so it's quite plausible that this experiment might not work right of and and i think now you've got this that if the store of value proposition begins to be eroded then the medium of exchange appeal begins to start to warp and i do think that some of that is in part what is going on when we look at uh, the price of assets in today's world across not just the venture capital world in which I live in and companies and the stock market, because of course that's the first place you'd want to point, but also to um, you know real estate. Any anything that's been a hard asset has inflated incredibly, and you know I think that's where this. I think soon people will question the me- the meaning of money in terms of as a medium of exchange, and it's it's easy to. Um, my point is really that it's easy to go from store of value to medium of exchange, which is what Bitcoin is in the process of doing. It is not easy to go from medium of exchange to store of value. Mm-hmm. It, it isn't necess- You can exchange anything. That doesn't mean it has value. You and I can start exchanging shells just as cavemen did. And that doesn't mean that the shells have value, but it does allow us to maintain a tally uh, between each other. But building that store yeah. of value is hard. It relies on trust. And I would say that Bitcoin is beginning to demonstrate, I would say it is because all the banks are buying it and all the companies are now starting to buy it. It is manifestly a store of value. And next, because it's software and software can be upgraded, it's going to get medium of exchange functionality it has. It's got the lightning network and it works and it's amazing. Yeah. And I think this this point about the, like a subculture, you know, it's, it's uh, this was actually one of the things that that you and I were talking about that we started to connect it to, to gaming, right? Was that yeah. um, when you look at gaming culture? I mean, now it's now it's very different now. But if you just look at sort of you know gamers twenty years ago, I mean even even to some extent a little bit today. But like if you go you know back a couple decades, it's like gamers were sort of these like unhygienic, um, you know, kind of nerds who just sat in the basement and you know, just like played sort of fantasy, you know, fantasy world, virtual world games. They were probably on second life. They, you know, spending... it's, the, it's the old like pejorative stereotype. Yeah. The, the, yeah, the, wow, that the old... wow player in South Park. Yeah, it's that. <laughs> exactly. So it's that old, um, it is that stereotype, but that, you know, that was also kind of the reality. And so, um, you know, there, there's this great book that, that both of us have read. It's called Digital Cash by, um, what's his name? Fintan something. Um, I'll, I can't, I'll link I it in the show remember. notes, but whatever. It's in a really amazing book. Um, you know, and in that book, I mean, he's basically just going through and showing you the background, revealing the background of like, you know, all the cypherpunk people. He has an, an incredible chapter on on Ted Nelson, who built, who built Xanadu, which was sort of a precursor a little bit to, you know, to what Tim Berners-Lee built with the web. Um, and, and, you know, what, um, what, um, Ted Nelson was trying to do is actually very, very similar to what NFTs are. Um, mm. and then, you know, like what Timothy May was trying to do as well. And, you know, who the, the co the founder of, what was it? Visa. Um, yeah. like, so it's like all, you know, all these people that were essentially like philosophers a little bit, you know, they were sociologists, they were psychologists they were very very much thinking about you know metaphysics uh thinking about 
just like the nature of reality and this thing that's called money and the ways in which um, that, that money structures reality in many ways. And mm -hmm. so what we were talking about is when you look at gaming and then you look at people who are into crypto, if you look at people in, in, that are into Bitcoin, it's like, what's the family resemblance between game, gaming culture and, and Bitcoin? You know, yeah. and, and I think one of the things that was really interesting that we that we were exploring was it, what are the what are the properties of or the values of of Bitcoin? And, and you know, we talked about identity. We talked about self-sovereignty. We talked about agency and we talked about ownership. Um, yes. And when you look at gaming, I think that one of the reasons why gaming is so um, so powerful a medium and so powerful an experience is that a lot of those same values are present in the experience of gaming. That, that the world is so complex and so complicated and there's so much newness. There's so much to try to, you know, grok with all this stuff happening all the time that what we tend to do is build, you know, we build maps of the world we build models of the world in our heads that we can act in. Mm -hmm. And when you think of a game environment, it's very similar. It is, you know, if you think of like Hyrule or whatever in, you know, Zelda, it's like yeah. you have a map. Every one of these games has a map in which you're, it helps you make sense of it and explore it. Um, Tetris, even like let's go old school, like Tetris is a, a very simple game environment that has very simple rules um, mm -hmm. but the game itself is quite fun because you're, you're just constantly playing around with those, with those rules. Um, and the, mas the mastery of it is very, is very empowering. Yeah. Like it's, yeah, um... it, it, yeah, exactly. So there, so there, there's, there is a family resemblance there. There's something really interesting to explore here about how, how Bitcoin and those who are interested in Bitcoin and then those who are interested in gaming, th there are definitely some overlaps and parallels, I think, in the values that are maybe unconsciously celebrated um, in, in both of those cultures. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think if you drew a Venn diagram, there's like a huge overlap uh, in, in the kind of desire for autonomy and agency. Um, you know, the, the way I, the, the, the kind of images I get in my head are like in, in Grand Theft Auto and in, in role-playing games like Baldur's Gate and stuff like that, you are, you're on a power trip, right? You've got autonomy, you're self-sovereign, you answer to no one, you have free agency, you can do whatever you want. And that is like, wow. And what is one of the largest uh, arguments or, or there's not, I would say arguments, what is what is constantly said by the Bitcoin is one of the strength of Bitcoin is the self-sovereignty, right? Be your own bank. Um, right. And there's a huge, I do think there's a huge overlap there. And, you know, that you can see it in, um, even video games today, right? I found it, video games also are very uh, obsessed with with money in their universes. And I think this stems from the very beginning of video games. If when you went to the arcade, you know, you had to insert a coin and uh, Mandelduck over at, at uh, Zebedee, which is one of our investments, they put Bitcoin in gaming and we'll talk about them, no doubt. But he, he makes this observation. He's, he was definitely one of the first people who made me think like that. You've had money in games since, from the get-go, but real money, not, not mm. uh, digital, not in-game currency. And 
this extends all the way to the present where if you you know what's the currency in cyberpunk well it's actually a political statement it's euro dollars right which they call eddies uh the kind of i guess the hypothetical future being that the euro and the dollar merge to become one currency for everyone well they kind of got half the story right they just got the name of the currency wrong and right. it, and i think like that is um that, that this is i think this is very telling i think gamer culture and, and bitcoin culture have strong overlaps in subconscious uh, drivers there and I do think that's why you see a lot of video games developers and a lot of video gamers drawn mm. to the cryptocurrency world and there's a strong overlap in the kind of graphical imagery language way of dressing all of that is is kind of inherent to both cultures um, and it's you know it's it's I think it's very cool I think it makes a lot of sense right to take a digital currency and put it into a virtual world we already know that um, we already know through Eve Online, through World of Warcraft, and, and we should talk about World of Warcraft specifically because it's an interesting one. But they these these games, these virtual worlds, have large scale virtual economies. I looked into um, trying to find a good estimate of the value of Eve Online's. Uh, I think it's its black market economy, but it is the trading of the in-game currency, which is called ISK for dollars it's it's frequent enough that there are exchange rates for it online and you can look at like monthly volumes and this is not a cryptocurrency this is an in-game currency yeah. where play, the players of the game see enough value that they trade it in real life um and i think that the economy of that game is something like when i looked something approximate to 50 million usd per month right like the gdp mm. of the eve online economy that's separate from um the business model of EVE Online, which is subscriptions for games. It's interesting and telling, and we should, and this is again where this kind of conversation will go, but the game CCP who develop EVE Online cannot monetize that economy, that trade between players. Uh, they still monetize through subscriptions, despite knowing that this happens. So it's quite um, profound and easy to miss that putting Bitcoin in video games as Zebedee and a, a handful of game developers are doing is this is the first real usage of Bitcoin as money, as in as a medium of exchange on top of a store of value. This is this is players transacting with each other using Bitcoin as as that medium of exchange. And I think that is that is like <laughs> head explode. Yeah. Very, very easy to overlook. Very easy to overlook. But a peer-to-peer -peer digital currency with no banking system is being used by gamers to transact value in and out of the game. Mm. I, I really think that is that is a profound thing that we're seeing. And it is one of the most interesting trends uh, I think that will emerge over the next three to five years plus, and it will then become enormous. Mm. Um, and I think it's yeah. interesting we should talk about as well that... Um, if you were to look, if you look into the press and the media around gaming and Bitcoin, it very quickly gets pointed to gaming and blockchain. And uh, yes, NFTs, which I do think have make a lot of sense in video games, and we can talk about that too. But also um, to, you know, just generally game coins and and in-game tokens and and things that you know these these for many reasons I don't believe make sense. Um, I really, I really don't. And, and I think that, you know, it's, 
you can see this in um, World of Warcraft, which is why I, I brought it up. You know, there's the, the gold farming phenomenon of um, World of Warcraft quite well known, but for those that aren't aware of it, um, as World of Warcraft grew, uh, huge numbers of people, mainly in China, started focusing on just mining gold uh, and acquiring large volumes of gold because they knew that other the time they were investing, again, time is money, uh, the time that they were investing in doing that was worth more uh, to other players who couldn't be bothered to do it and they could get, you know, they could profit from that in, in real money terms, in fiat currency terms. So they would, they would a market formed for, for gold in Warcraft. Well, you could just eliminate that entirely and get straight to the point by using a store of value that everyone recognizes, including Fidelity, Tesla, right? Square, yeah. um, Goldman Sachs, JP Morgan, right? You can just use Bitcoin. And, and it's amazing to me that people believe people will sit that like if I were a games developer, uh, you know, I, I, the frequent thing is like, well, this is this is risky, right? Well, I don't think something is risky when all the banks and the S&P 500 publicly listed companies are buying it. Right. That tells you something that tells you something's changed. And uh, I, I think this is this is the next I've said this to you before as well. The next big complaint about Bitcoin is going to be that it's not fair because it's going to be too ex perceived as being too expensive. Mm. Or, or even, I guess, too, you know, too e exclusive, right? In, yeah, in, yeah. In, the, in the, which is, I mean, those are, those are related, obviously, but it, it is one of those things where like, you know, those who, um, you know, the, the, those who um, were sort of early, because there's always that problem too about, you know, like, um, the, the, the mining culture, it's actually quite similar to sneaker culture, just to make a quick aside and reference to reference to sneakers. But, you know, right now in sneaker, sneaker culture, given that sneakers are now, you know, an asset class, um, and, you know, people are making building, you know, million dollar businesses, uh, flipping and reselling sneakers, um, where, where it's gone is that it's gone precisely in this direction of being unfair. Um, because this asset, um, you know, well, not all of them, but, you know, cert certain sneakers are, are assets that, you know, can, can generate significant profits for people. What has happened is you have a kind of mining culture that's also developed, which are these people who are running sneaker bots. Mm -hmm. Yeah, They're like sneaker bot farms, you know, and, and it, it would be like going into a, you know, going into Vegas and hitting up the slot machines and there's 10 slot machines there. And then there's like eight people who are just always winning. And then you sit down at the other two and you're always losing. And then you're like, you know, what's going on here? This isn't fair. They keep winning. There's, there's some cheat that they have. Mm -hmm. and, and in sneaker culture, that's exactly the discussion. It's like, this, this is no longer fair. You know, people just can't get access to these, this desirable asset that we really want. And we're actually the loyal, you know, passionate consumer that loves the culture. And yet it's just not fair because the only way to get access to that asset is, you know, the, the cost of entry and even the, the knowledge required to know how that works is just so beyond most people that they, they just kind of give up. And then yeah. in this case, they move on to trading cards or, or NFTs. But um, I think mm. something similar here, right, is that that idea of it not being fair is, is um, you know if you were 
sort of early in the game and, and following it, then obviously you're, you're going to build up much more value. And as we've discussed, if it kind of goes down to that unit of exchange being, you know, being a Satoshi, um, then yeah. people who have, you know, a lot of Bitcoin are obviously going to be in a better off position than people who now are like, man, I really need access to this. The demand for this, this asset, Bitcoin is very, very high. And now I'm not really in a position to, you know, it's yeah. not fair again. So then now you have that whole entire argument. Uh, yeah, there's a, there's a few things that we can talk about there. I mean, I don't, you know, as a, as a kind of just general point, I don't think one could have released Bitcoin to the world more fairly. You know, it was it was shared, mm. it was shared on the internet in public to a group of people who were into the idea of internet money, but it was open to all. And mm -hmm. it was allowed in a free market environment to pick up its own steam. And the technology is proving itself, which is what's leading to the momentum. But for people who believe, you know, it's too expensive now and it may be too expensive in the future, um, this is not a price target, but just to give you, a, to give people a concept of like the scale of the money market. You know, I think when I last had a, tried to look into this, I think US M1 money supply which is all of the dollars in the world or something like that is uh, around a hundred trillion. I think it's 97 trillion, but you know, they're printing trillions more every other day. So it, it goes up. Yeah, exactly. But um, if you divide that by the theoretical maximum of 21 million Bitcoin, you know, you're at kind of like $4 million a coin. And uh, if you take in the leverage on the dollar, which is, you know, every dollar is what, like four or five times leveraged, you know, you're up to kind of like 10, $12 million a coin. Uh, if it assumes, if it, takes the a hundred percent of that market right um but just to you know so when people think when when it goes up to 500k a coin and people are like oh it's hit gold uh you know this is before bitcoin the network has taken over that's just bitcoin the asset cementing itself as, a, as an asset class um but i think you know and we've talked about this several times uh it was a friend of mine who first said it to me uh because he's, he's a he's a good listener and he's he's definitely um starting to see the, the light on this one. He, he works ironically in, in uh, oil and gas. And so he has, it was when he sort of started to see that Bitcoin is efficient from an energy perspective that it really mm. like kaboom. But uh, he said, Bitcoin's primary problem is education. And I really, really believe that. Bitcoin is an education thing. It is so new and there is so much to unpack. I'm fairly sure that the Bitcoin protocol or some simplified version of its game theory will be taught in schools in the future. I'm fairly, I'm fairly sure that that's going to have to be the case. Uh, it might not be mandatory education, but definitely for those who care, it will be part of the curriculum. Uh, it already is at like university level, obviously, but I'm talking about like for everyone um, when they are in high school, you know, you can learn how the money works and this, and the Bitcoin protocol will be that education. Um, but you know, I think the other, there's, there's maybe a few, you also mentioned the word Satoshi, which I think to some of your listeners might not mean anything. Um, so maybe like, you know, what, 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 maybe it's a good point to say, like, what is Bitcoin in gaming today? What, what is it? What, you know, what the hell are we even talking about? We just, we talked a yeah. lot about Bitcoin, but like, how do you stick it in a game? And I think like the, the super, super rapid version of this is, um, Bitcoin is a protocol like TCP, IP, et cetera, that builds up the internet. So the Bitcoin protocol sits at layer one and it's been, it's been built up and you know it's accumulated over a trillion dollars of value because people are believing that it works. And, uh, but its main criticism is it's slow, right? Takes, uh, 
10 minutes to confirm a transaction if you pay you know top whack to get your transaction as the highest priority one in the in the chain uh, if you don't it can take up to like six hours maybe even longer if you underpay on on the network fee uh, this is like basically seen as a non-starter bitcoin's over like can't be yeah. used this is this is rubbish well you know the the us fed um transacts at, a, at the same speed on their payment network called fedwire right but no one no regular person uses fedwire to send money around that's actually just used for bank to bank payments where the payment is like 150 million dollars in a, in one go right so this is that's what bitcoin's layer 1 protocol is for bitcoin's layer 2 protocol is called the lightning network the lightning network enables instant transactions and it also enables microtransactions. It is live today. It's very, very cool. Uh, there are a number of, of products and services now being built atop of Lightning. Uh, you can listen to podcasts and you can stream sats. And sats are the smallest unit of Bitcoin. Think of them like Bitcoin pennies, except there's 100 million of them in one Bitcoin. So you can stream sats per second that you're listening. So as you, the listener, are listening to this podcast, if you were listening to it on a Bitcoin-enabled platform, you would be sending our dear friend Ryan satoshis in real time as you listened per second or minute that you listened. So you would be paying direct to the creator. I would take that over an NFT any day as an aside, but that, that's what one thing the Lightning Network enables instantaneous micropayments. And of course, where that makes a lot of sense is in the world of video games. And what it enables is for gamers themselves to take the time they invest in games. And I know I've been there, like I put 120 hours into certain RPGs. I won't name them because it's shameful, but I have, I have put hours and hours into games. And all you can walk away with is a copy of your save game that you might be able to load up later in the same game, right? With your level 500 character and your super duper one hit kill item. Um, but you can't take that value and use it elsewhere. You can't, all of that time investment goes into the game and it doesn't come out. And so with lightning, you can program the Bitcoin deep into the game so that it works with the with the player's actions and interactions and it can be fully interactive with streaming and viewers and twitch and i mean the entire ecosystem because it's just a money protocol it's a payment rail it's like uh you know it's like it would be like putting dollars in game except it's not economically viable to send one cent you know a hundred times in a minute uh between different players it becomes you know it's rapidly too expensive to do that because our fiat system is not built to do that um, so Lightning, the Lightning Network enables all these kind of new payments uh, and new game modes. And I really believe that it's not just game modes. This is a new revenue stream for the games industry. If you remember just earlier, I mentioned EVE Online and their 50 million a month yes. economy. Well, if, EVE, if that economy were running on Bitcoin, that the game CCP themselves could monetize that economy, right? They could They could charge a processing fee for spending and trading in the EVE Online economy. And they could accumulate Bitcoin on their balance sheet, just like Square, just like Tesla, just like MicroStrategy, except they're doing it from their gamers having fun. And those gamers themselves are changing value and pulling value out of the game. And then they're going and taking that Bitcoin and they're buying a t-shirt or a coffee cup or 
you know, something else, or maybe they're taking it and putting it in Counter-Strike, which Zebedee have, have put Bitcoin into, right? So there you can, uh, mm. you can pay to play in a round of Counter-Strike, 16 players, say it's 100 sats in, 100 sats is like three cents, right? Three US cents. Um, and if 16 players all pay 100 sats, then you've got, you know, 1600 prize pool. And uh, when you shoot someone, you win Bitcoin. When you die, you lose Bitcoin. And at the end of the eight-minute, ten-minute, twenty-minute game, uh, you can take your Bitcoin back out, and you can either play another game, or you can take it with you or hodl it, right? Like the other Bitcoiners do. This is incredibly profound. I think. I know I've just spoken for a lot, but I think this mm. is like wow, right? And this is. Yeah. I think gamers have wanted this for years and years and years. Yeah. Well, what I think is what I think is profound about it is, um, you know, the name of my company is uh, is on life. You know, it's not not Aglet, and and the idea is to try to unify worlds. You know, it's unifying uh, virtual worlds, like you know, like a like a world of like virtual worlds, like a World of Warcraft or you know, an Eve Online. It's like that the virtual world, what what William Gibson and uh, Spook Country, you know. He takes his own concept that he that he came up with in, in Neuromancer, cyberspace, and says cyberspace has has everted. It's turned inside out. Mm -hmm. um, so, and that's why you know he goes from kind of a science fiction writer to, you know, pattern recognition, uh, mm. and everyone. And then he's saying like he's doing realist fiction now, and it was that whole idea of like okay, we're we're talking about this new dimension, this new space called cyberspace or, you know, a virtual world or digital. Mm. Um, but actually in point of fact, like the futures, you know, as he says, the future's already here. It's just not evenly distributed. What we have said, you know, uh, along with you, like the, the metaverse is already here, like on life is already here. Yeah. So how do you bring virtual worlds and physical worlds together. And one of the most promising ways, and it's, it is, again, it's just not evenly distributed. It's already being done. You know, I played, uh, uh, you know, Bitcoin rally, yeah. uh, you know, and, and earned some, earned some sats, you know, we were hanging out in a audio snobbery, you know, telegram group and, you know, people were, people were sending sats to each other just for recommending a good album. Yeah. So here, here, here is sort of like a, you know, a, a proto uh, kind of uh, a virtual world, which is this kind of space in which there's a conversation happening with this community of audio audio fanatics. But then there's also uh, these virtual gaming worlds where there's sats being exchanged. But then there's also that you and I, let's hope sometime soon, can you know go out to dinner um, and and be able to pay for something. Uh, you know, in sats, kind of anywhere we want. And so now what you've got are assets that you earned in a game environment coming out of that world and being used as a, uh, as a real a, world as a, economy as in the real world economy. And so yeah. this is where I think most people are kind of missing the, 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 the profundity of all of this is that Bitcoin to, to your point about like, you know, uh, currency plurality, you know, if you think about the alternative to that, which is like, you know, the, every single virtual world basically has its own currency and the, the extreme unlikelihood of taking, you know, Robux and then being a, or, or, or uh, V bucks or something and taking it out of the world of Fortnite and being able to pay for something, yeah. you know, yeah. paying for a steak dinner 
and and I mean, it would actually be funny to try that. Like, you know, uh, that'll be you know two hundred dollars, and then like, you know, you try to pay with fee bucks. Um, you could you could do it. I mean, I don't like to truly uh, demolish these ideas because you could do it, right? But I do think that you could do it, but it would not be as kind of seamless and um, yeah. You, you know, would get the uh, you would get the headline and the attention, but it wouldn't be sustainable. The the you know the, to your point, yeah, to what you said about money monetary plurality, because obviously I think about that a lot. But yeah, if you look at like history, that hasn't panned out very well, right? We have we money has a tendency to be zero sum. You need a forum or a means with which to agree to disagree, a place to finalize settlement of something right to come to an agreement and if every game world has its own coin then what is the settlement layer with which all of these coins you know agree to agree what's the exchange how does epic games um agree with valve on an exchange rate for v bucks and let's call it steam coin right mm -hmm. and of course one solution to this is a decentralized exchange will um would provide that market and set the price in a free market environment but uh the other but then even then those coins don't necessarily have real world value you'd have to find places to it the, the interoperability of these coins is a problem and like i said if you look at money history monetary plurality doesn't work out very well cavemen had all kinds of mediums of exchange but they settled on gold and then when gold had all kinds of mediums of exchange with different purities, everyone settled on the florin. And it, you know this is because you need a common place for all of these different lines of thinking, human perspectives, ways of disagreeing. You need one layer of settlement. And uh, my belief is that it will be the Bitcoin blockchain uh, through, you know, secured by proof of work, the most secure means of securing a blockchain. And uh, most currencies will swap between one another via Bitcoin using the Lightning Network. Um, that's going to get technical. But, you know, to other, another way of looking at the kind of coin thing is because we definitely are in a world of, of, of um, and I want to speak out to game developers here and try and get and hopefully get their attention. Um, because a way to think about this is, is the way uh, the use of blockchain is being uh advertised to games developers is to come aboard you can issue your own coin like you can an in-game currency and that will become tradable outside of the game and have value and profit right profit profit cash machine let's win but you know uh i would argue that uh most companies already have their own coin right nike has its own coin it's called nike stock right you've been able to buy it for years. If you believe in the Nike model, you can buy Nike stock. And mm. it's we're not far off. I mean, you can't yet. Nike don't accept their own shares as tender in their stores, right? right? But we it, theoretically, that's possible. It is mm. theoretically possible. Does that mean you need, does that mean the rest of the world is going to run on Nike coin? Does it mean that Adidas would accept Nike coin in their, no, right? Like, no, they wouldn't. But both stores can accept Bitcoin because they can agree yeah. to disagree. They could, that's the big thing. You can agree to disagree. And uh, mm -hmm. I think that this is where games developers should think, you know, when, they, when they're presented with these propositions, you've got to remember your team is working like 60, 80, 100 hours a week in crunch time to get the game done on time. And you're being asked to build 
atop a network uh, that is in the process of changing its scalability, right? This doesn't matter. And I don't, I know that this is like a red flag to a bull with some crypto communities. And I don't mean to be uh, toxic in this. I'm just trying to be come at this from a games developer's perspective. You're not going to risk your business and you shouldn't risk your business atop a protocol that is in the process of changing its entire consensus model uh, and has at the moment high uh, a fee structure that is so high that any game with a real a realistic volume transaction volume uh, can't function right so collectible card games uh, are doing very well on on the ethereum blockchain and, and gathering a lot of attention uh, nba top shot on flow is gathering a lot of attention uh, so rare obviously making huge headlines with their fancy football game a genius idea an absolutely mm. genius idea um but in a, in a game like wow or counter-strike in a real game or an mmo where there's real trade happening the ethereum network cannot support the volume of transactions today it cannot support it and that's why you see games moving off it and you've just had engine coin today as we are recording announce that they're raising 20 million odd and they're moving over to Polkadot. Why? Because Ethereum cannot support the transaction volume. And Ethereum people will argue that, yes, it can because layer two rollups and soon to come ETH 2.0. But these are future developments. This is three, two to three years away. I'm a game developer. I've got to launch my game by Q3, by Q4. I can't wait two years for your technology to work for my game. I can't mm. do that. Whereas Bitcoin works, it does work, it works today. And you don't have to worry about telling your players to download MetaMask and then buy ETH and then swap ETH to this token and then reinsert the token in the game and then go to OpenSea and like friction, 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 all of it, user friction, none of all of it, low conversion, right? Mm. And how many 16 year olds do you know with 70 grand to spare? This is not, these, these aren't real gamers playing these games. So I know that's a bit of a rant, but yeah. I really feel well, that game developers need to be aware of this. It's 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 a it's an unhelpful thing to tell a game developer to adopt a technology that is still alpha, in my view. Yeah. Well, I think it it also it, it, it that friction is the point. I mean, that's what I was getting at earlier is with the uh, you know being able to you basically just have this universal currency hmm. that is kind of the on life currency, right? It's the it's the metaverse currency yes. that is that is that is everything. I mean, and, and, you know, so like I'm, I'm from the U S I'm living in Germany now and then, you know, living in Germany, luckily in this location where I am not now, obviously, but like pre pandemic, you could, I could go to France very easily. I could go to, you know, two hour drive to Amsterdam to hang out with some friends and like the way in which, um, the way in which like I, if I had my U S account, just the card made it, I didn't even have to think about any of that. Like it, it just disappeared and it was mm -hmm. all handled on that account layer that you were talking about. Like in the background, that was all just kind of taken care of. And I, I very much look at, you know, all these different, all these different worlds. And this goes to a discussion that you and I have had about the metaverse and, uh, you know, whether or not, there's like the Oasis view of the metaverse, the Tim Sweeney version of the metaverse. But then there's this other, other kind of, I think more realistic view of it. That is like basically a multiverse of metaverses where every, every brand is almost like a, like a game world now where they've got their, they've got their ecosystem and that ecosystem comprises, you know, their, 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 um, 
their their retail shops, it's their their website, it's their app, it's their you know certain events that they might put on. Um, it's you know, and and the and and how you look at it is like the membership program, so to speak, is is that whole ecosystem, and the player in that game ecosystem is the consumer, and you're kind of able to you know track a consumer in that ecosystem in that brand game game world. And then what brands are now trying to figure out is like, okay, how does our loyalty program, our membership program, basically just have a Nike coin or an Adi coin or a New Balance coin or whatever. And so now you just kind of get this multiverse of like, you know, virtual worlds specific to one, uh, you know, to one brand or whatever. And then the dumb part is, again, now it's like, all right, I have all this Nike coin but I now I, you know, what do I do with, you know, I also have this Audi coin and I've got this and that, and that seamlessness of just being able to just go in all these different worlds and be able to do stuff is so much more compelling so much and a better user yeah. experience. If it's just agree to disagree, right. It's just all that. Yeah. It's, it's just Bitcoin. Yeah. Just the, this is money, right? The money question has been fixed that yeah. if you're a developer, that's a huge weight off your shoulders. Wow, I don't have to worry about the money side of it anymore, right? And we already have coins for companies, right? It's called loyalty programs. You don't need a blockchain for that. And I think, yeah. um, you know, we, we uh, and there's a, a few other things that, you know, are worth discussing here. I think another thing that game developers worry about is, um, well, I monetize my game, right, through my premium currency. So the way the way the game mechanic works is there's a free currency and then you have a premium currency and you, and you buy that premium currency to get access to the premium goods in the game that you want, right? But uh, And so they say, well, if there's Bitcoin in it, how do I monetize that? And there's two things there. One is you can monetize the economic activity itself, the transactions, right? You can, you can, ch- you can change the model and create a new revenue stream. The other side of it, and 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 Simon, uh, the CEO of Zebedee, proposed this just the other day, and I I had another like, wow, this this guy's a genius moment. But um, that was, what if you had an in-game currency that was backed by Bitcoin, mm-hmm. right? Just like if in real life you had a bank that issued pounds or dollars that were backed by Bitcoin, um, you could do that, right? What would that do to the value of gold in in World of Warcraft? What would that do? to the value of, of any in-game currency. What does that mean? How would players change the way they interact? But you're still able to monetize it just fine. The exchange rate becomes the variable. That's very interesting, right? And it's we very- We should have Agla be backed by Bitcoin. I'm definitely pro it. You know that, right? And yeah. and I think that's it, it's also worth talking about NFTs because obviously they're all the rage. And we've talked about this extensively, um, mm-hmm. you know, and I, and I really could, talk about it for a long time but i i believe in nfts right the gamer in me wants to uh take one in-game asset and use it in another i would love to take a skin i buy in csgo and stick it on my gun in apex legends and it just works or maybe i grab my favorite katana out of cyberpunk and i use that in ghost of tsushima right and it's like this is this this would be amazing this world right well firstly you can create NFTs on the Bitcoin protocol. You, you can you can use the liquid network. Um, but I think that's actually a misleading thing. I actually think we should walk before we run. I'm a big believer in just because you can doesn't mean you should. And there are many 
technical hurdles to um, using different game assets between games. Uh, you know, simple examples would be if you built one game in Unity and another game in Unreal, and, uh, you know, they had totally different character rigs uh, and mount points for items for those characters, it would just be really difficult without the games developers themselves agreeing on a standardized framework to make all of that work so that it would actually be seamless and fun from a user experience perspective. So we're quite a way off uh, just yet those in-game items truly having utility in other games. They can be traded with and speculated upon very easily today, but they don't actually have utility between games. And because of that, my perspective shifts a little and I, I kind of view it as actually we should, you don't need a blockchain for the tradable item. You can keep it in the game and, and have that game have its own economy of item trading. But what if that item trading was done in a currency that could be pulled in and out of the game? Again, Bitcoin, right? Um, yeah. And you could, and that's, I think for many games developers, that's the bit they're curious about because that's the monetization of their own in-game economy and the monetization of their items. And uh, again, they don't need to worry about money supply, what exchanges they list on, what blockchain they decide to roll out on, whether it's Engine or Ethereum or Polkadot or EOS or Solana or Cardano or whatever. You know, you just just pick the one that everyone else is using, man, like the one that the governments are looking at buying, the one that the companies are buying. You know, it's, this one's been answered for you, I think. Um, so, I, I mean, I just kind of view it as that way. I, if I were a game developer, I wouldn't want a headache. Of, of waiting for yeah. my protocol to the protocol I chose to develop on have its open source community develop a feature I need I would just rather build my own features and just use decentralized internet money that is a protocol itself and can be used everywhere right imagine if I play enough counter-strike uh, through Zebedee's infused tournament to buy a Tesla with Bitcoin I can do that now that's that's potentially reality that's not uh, mm -hmm. fiction that is yeah. a real thing today and I find yeah. that really astounding Right. If I were a games developer, I would be jumping up and down, chomping at the bit to get in on this. Yeah, we've mentioned can... we've mentioned Zebedee uh, many times. Yeah, because um, they're the only guys uh, doing this. <laughs> yeah, maybe um, you know, of course, go go check out Zebedee. Um, uh, I mean, a really amazing team. Uh, disclosure, as Ben said, you know, um, Lake Star is is an investor in uh, in Zebedee. Um, maybe tell Probably. us a little bit about, about Zebedee and, and what that is, just so people can, you know, if they're listening to this and they, they find it interesting, they'll go and check them out and download mm -hmm. the Zebedee wallet and, and, and get into that. So what is, they're probably yeah. the only example of a company that's actually doing this, this. what we're talking yeah. about. So, yeah, yeah. They, so they're like Stripe, uh, the payment processor, but for virtual worlds, for video games. So they, they do, they use Bitcoin over the Lightning Network, the latest bleeding edge, you know, Bitcoin software uh, in a very consumer friendly way to put Bitcoin in video games. And they offer a product suite. They offer an SDK for games developers to integrate Bitcoin in their games. And that means you can have programmable events like players need to pay Bitcoin to open a door or players can receive Bitcoin for solving puzzles. Players can trade between each other with Bitcoin. All of this can be then built into your game. Uh, through a very simple SDK. You don't need to actually have familiarity with, with Bitcoin's language or any of that. Um, the second piece is they offer a consumer-facing Bitcoin wallet, 
which allows you to interact with these games in the it's it's the bitcoin protocol is standardized so you can use any wallet that supports lightning but zebedee's is designed to be optimized for games so that means it has three things one is it can connect to discord and you can start sending sats uh, between you know your friends on a bitcoin server tipping players that you respect uh, you know, invoicing, like requesting sats if you've done an achievement or something and you want to be recognized for it. Uh, they came out with gamer tags. So you have your identity on, on the Bitcoin layer. And if you, you know, on the last podcast, I said there were two things I was looking to solve uh, in, in gaming. One was payments. The other was identity. I think these guys have done it in one. Um, but you have a gamer tag just like you would on Xbox Live or Steam. And you can add, you know, your friends on that. And you can show your, you know, you show off your achievements there and send money and request money. Um, they also have uh, a tipping mechanism so you can show a QR code on your Twitch stream and players can tip you while you're streaming, sending money directly to the streamer or even direct. This is where it gets really interesting, directly into the game, right? So you could be streaming to an audience of 500 people, 1,000 people, 10,000 people, right? You could come across a challenge. You need a few sats to get it done. You're 10 sats short. You can call out to your community you know, first person to send me 10 sats gets a huge shout out and I'll, and they'll let me get mm -hmm. past this hump in the game and I'll, I'll be so grateful. That's all possible now. This is, again, it's now. It's available now. This is all done. This is deployed. It's ready, right? And then the, the last piece is they have um, some kind of, they have an esports tournament they host monthly called Mint Gox, which is short for Magical Internet Gathering, but is obviously a play on the Mount Gox uh, fiasco of a few years ago. Mm -hmm. um, but the, the, you know, they, they showcase some of their own games there. They've, they've put Bitcoin in Counter-Strike, which is kind of the most mainstream and accessible one. As you mentioned, they've built um, Bitcoin Rally, which is a, a kind of Mario Kart-esque game where you get to drive around, except the coins on the track are actual Bitcoin and you can collect them and throw them at the other players, i.e. spend some money, or you can like stash it all and come last, but be pleased because you're, you're rich. Uh, mm. And so it kind of changes some game dynamics there. But yeah, they, I, I, I find this really profound. They're the only, there's a lot of games, there's a lot of people in the gaming blockchain space. There's very few in the gaming and Bitcoin space. And Zebedee have uh, also attracted a number of other developers around them. You know, there's uh, Thunder Games, which is led by a guy called Jack Everett. Um, really, really excellent games developer as well. He does mobile games. So if you're a mobile games developer it's it's entirely possible on ios to do bitcoin games apple do allow it um they they're, they'll monitor you carefully but they do allow it uh, and he's developed come two sort of casual games that use use bitcoin as their reward system so you can play they're free to play you can what are, you what can are those stack. games so there's one called turbo 84 which is like an endless runner with a race car and uh you know the higher your score the higher your kind of bitcoin reward or your probability of a Bitcoin reward. And you can, um, you can, you know, you can, if you play it daily, you can make sure you stack a little bit of Bitcoin every day and, and make some, and start saving some money, but it's free. It's free to play. So you, do, you don't have to pay in anything. And all you need is like a, a wallet, like a Zebedee wallet, and you can start earning some Bitcoin for free. Uh, he's also got another one called Bitcoin Bounce, where you bounce along the blockchain and you, again, you collect coins on the way and that lets you enter a rally for a raffle for some bitcoin so it's very very cool ideas and this is just the beginning of where it's going to go i mean like we should we should riff on some on what you could do with bitcoin in your game um but mm. you know i think zebedee are the guys enabling this and it is truly astounding i think it's i think it needs to be yeah. shouted from the rooftops this is this is like they've done it guys like they've fixed money in games 
you know, with, with people like Microsoft doing the ION project, you can fix identity in games. These are the building blocks of the metaverse. Fix the money, fix the identity, then you can build the virtual worlds because they have the currency, the, econ the backing of which is secured by real world value. So you don't debate, you know, who's, who's the central bank in the metaverse? Is it Epic Games? Is it Valve? Is it Microsoft? Is it Sony? Well, no, it's no one. It's the Bitcoin protocol, right? Which everyone owns. So it just answers so many questions uh, mm. and, makes it, and makes it really quite straightforward. And then you can have your NFTs. Uh, you can have your, you know, in-game in item exchanges. You can do all of the other stuff uh, with the other blockchains, but you can, your, your native asset price is, is the money of the internet. It's Bitcoin. It's easy. And I think I hope that developers realize this and start to see the opportunity. I think this could really enlarge the entire games industry, right? It's a $175 billion industry today in revenue. And that's just off like in-app purchases uh, and ads, right? And game sales, the old school way. Well, let's add a new revenue stream. And that's like payment processing, right? Mm. The, the in-game economy, right? What's the, and, and let's add that onto the games industry. Let's build, let's build a bigger games industry, right? With a yeah. common money for everyone in this metaverse. I think this is going to be really, really powerful. We mentioned um, kind of the, the definitely the, the, the word of the year so far, um, you know, nifties, NFTs, um, uh, people, people, you know, going nuts over it. And, you know, I, I'm like you, I'm, I'm, I'm very, I'm very bullish on the idea Mm. um for a number of different reasons um and i mentioned this you know i've mentioned this numerous times on the podcast but for any new listeners um you know the, the company that i have on life and our product aglet was at one point this was three years ago when we first started it was called sneaker crypt and you know we were you know building it on we were going to build it on ethereum and it was an nft play and i first heard about nfts at a a blockchain conference in San Francisco, some dude named Dieter uh, talking about this game they were building, um, you know, that was cats on the blockchain. Hmm. Um, and, and um, they did all right. Coming, <laughs> yeah. I remember, I remember, I remember coming back and just having a discussion with, it was my CTO of my last, my last company, who's now my, um, my co-founder at this company. I was like, I want to put, we need to figure out how to build a game where you can put, you know, virtual sneakers on a blockchain that you can breed sneakers. You can basically, how do you take that, that, that crypto kitties dynamic of, of DNA and breeding and generating, you know, limited, limited, Holy grail sneakers and blah, blah, blah. So we had this whole model for it. We actually decided to go in a different direction and not build on a blockchain. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, for many reasons, uh, a couple of which, you know, well, one of which you mentioned, which was just, you know, I, I even think that the amount of players that we have today and the amount of, you know, activity and transactions in our game would already, you know, create a, a very poor experience just given yeah. the... I have, know, I have met several games developers who've ended up jumping off Ethereum to um, another protocol to try and get around this. And yeah, I don't think you need a blockchain for it. Yeah, is my answer. Not yet. Yeah. Anyway, not yeah. yet. Yeah. 
Yeah. The, the, the second reason that we, that we decided not to do it was um, that we, we just kind of felt like the, the actual utility of these assets is, is, I don't know, it's, it's pretty, pretty low. It's like, you know, with the, with, with the, with crypto kitties, for example, it's, you know, at some point there's just too many cats, you know, there's just, there, it's, it's just this, yeah. uh, it, it's, just, it's just, there's too many cats and, and um, mm. there, there's nothing to do really in the game beyond just the yeah. same exact thing over and over again. And so we, we were kind of thinking about that as well. And, and again, you know, my, my view of, of on life in the metaverse is more of a, more about mobility and moving around in the real world. And so we decided to go in this different direction where we were like, what if you could create a game in which these virtual assets have a connection to your real world movement in and around the world? And then if we can somehow get that right, let's then figure out a way to put NFTs, you know, let's figure out another way to move to a, you know, move, move, move to Bitcoin that, that can come later, but let's first try to figure out how to get the experience right, where an NFT can now appear within a world, mm -hmm. a, a universe of some kind that has utility beyond, you know, I, I bred it with, you know, uh, another sneaker and it generated this kind of one of one and then somebody bought it for some crazy amount of money, like, that's obviously interesting and it's a business model and it works, but that's just not, that's not what we wanted to do. And so I think mm. one of the things that's really interesting for me in this, in this NFT explosion of, of, of late is um, thinking about a lot of this conversation that we're having and, and how it started even was thinking more about the why of Bitcoin um, yeah. and, and why now, and you had mentioned, you know, that first, that first transaction and the, you know, the, the, the reference basically to the financial crisis and the bailouts again, it money fits into an, an entire worldview. And often there's a great phrase from Raymond Williams called it's the, uh, I mentioned it in the, in the intro, um, structure of feeling. Mm-hmm. And it's looking at, you know, the arts as always, the arts are always trying to express the inexpressible. And I'm often wondering how, given that money is a, is kind of an art in the sense that it is this, you know, it's this kind of, it, it's in our heads in many ways, right? It's not, it's kind of that collective hallucination idea. Um, yeah. But I'm often wondering what is NF, what is this, the hoopla and the hype around NFTs? What's the inexpressible that all this hype expresses? Mm. Um, and I think one part of it has to do with, um, you know, the, the difficulty of young, younger people to be able to access a lot of um, more traditional assets and participate in, in capital. And that what this, what, why sneakers and why, you know, like, you know, certain uh, game in game world uh, accounts or why crypto was interesting to them was here was something that while it was complex, it was nonetheless sort of native to how they think about the world and they got it. And it was, it was more accessible and why NFTs for me are really interesting and why I'm bullish on it is that while there might be a lot of BS out there right now, which is part of every hype cycle. Um, I do think that NFTs 
are one way for assets that individuals can create within game worlds um, to to actually monetize those mm -hmm. and be able to uh, create new kinds of assets in games. It could also yeah. just be on a platform or a marketplace somewhere and actually start you know, building a business. And for the first time ever, be able to own and prove that you own a digital asset. And so the same discussion that we had around you know, being in a game and, you know, clearing the level or whatever and earning whatever, you know, 10,000 sats mm -hmm. and then being able to take those 10,000 sats and then maybe go over to, you know, the Tesla website and buy one of these flasks of whiskey or the, you I was going like to say, a, you won't get much for you your know? 10K sats, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> but like, or whatever, you know, whatever it is, it's like being able to, to take that and then go and do something with it. It's the same oh, yeah. thing for me with NFTs, right? Is that the yeah. ability that it's now an object and yeah. being able to take that object from one environment, whether it's a game environment, whether it's just a marketplace online somewhere, mm -hmm. I think whether it's I'm walking around in the real world with a pair of, you know, augmented reality glasses on. And when I look over there, you and I are walking around maybe in shortage somewhere. And there's a pair of like virtual sneakers over there um, that, that we both see it's a box and, and we open it up that virtual box and inside is a, a pair of virtual sneakers. I now own that and I got it in the real world yeah. and I can now put that into Aglet or I can put that in my asset library or I can, you know, For so now sure. you really have not only Bitcoin as money, but assets that are now sort of interoperable. They're assets that are portable between all these, all these different um, sort of dimensions or virtual worlds. Um, yeah. This is what another reason why I'm I'm very bullish on the idea. We're not quite there yet, but this is very much a part of my vision of the of the of the future and where I think it goes. Is you get you have to get the money right, and then there's this other exciting part of it, which is the NFT side of it, which I'm I'm very excited about. And then there's that question of can both of those the money and the NFT sit on the same blockchain, the Bitcoin blockchain, and the answer seems to be. Um, yes. And so I'm, I would <laughs> yes. be just interested to, uh, to, to interested to hear and have you explain because most people associate, you know, uh, NFTs and smart contracts with the Ethereum blockchain. And mm -hmm. kind of, that was kind of the big excitement around Ethereum was that it's kind of this platform. You can build games, you can build all this stuff on it. Bitcoin's money. It'll always be a, like a, a money blockchain. You can't do anything else with it. That yeah. was kind of the, the narrative, but yeah, that's not so, that's actually not true. So enlighten us a bit on that. Yeah, it's I mean, it's true. And I think you, you, the way you just described NFTs is so uh, bang on as to what people see as to why this is valuable. I mean, we've we've talked about in, in the last episode, the fact that people nowadays perceive digital things as being as valuable as as real things. Right. And um, that's that's true. That's true, and and that's what NFTs port, you know, claim to enable. But if you, if you really, you know, if you if you cut into it, I I feel like the technology needs to be discussed itself. And again, I really seek not to start some sort of argument with the Ethereum community. I just feel that the protocol itself is not ready to risk building a games company atop of, and everyone's going to point to. NBA Top Shot and so rare, et cetera, as, as examples of this. But these are 
outliers. And on top of that, um, you know, they're not games like Cyberpunk. These are collectible card games. Uh, so maybe you could get a Hearthstone on something. But anyway, I'm, I'm getting sidetracked. The point is, and it, the, the logic behind NFTs and the appeal of NFTs is real. And it ties into the larger trend on the internet of the creator economy. And uh, to get a bit Adam Curtis on you, you know, the kind of rise of individualism um, and people monetizing and uh, growing themselves and their own influence. And so a logical conclusion of that are things like uh, self-tokenization or tokens that represent one's work. And this is, of course, incredibly appealing to artists, uh, musicians, creative types who can see that their work could be given an intrinsic value online. And uh, that's true. That is that is really appealing. I, do, I don't sit here doubting that. Like I, I don't at all. I think that is a fundamental part of the uh, of the metaverse. Um, but you know, do you? I think you have to think about what the asset is that you're pricing in, and uh, it is an asset that is, uh, like I said, it's slightly in alpha. Whereas you could argue, I would say, Bitcoin is leaving beta and approaching, you know, 1.0. It's nowhere near in actual. If you go look at the the version number of Bitcoin Core, it isn't, but but yeah, you know, it's it's in to take it to create a poor metaphor. It is um, it is far more accepted, and I think the Lightning Network is chronically underappreciated. And and basically, it comes down to a fundamental difference in how one believes a um, one builds a a stack, a technology stack for people to build on top of. And um, most of the smart contract native Turing complete, however you want to put it, the Ethereum's, the Polkadot's, the et cetera of this world, um, they go for like putting as much as possible on layer one, which is the prime, the base layer protocol and enabling everyone to do everything and then abstracting to layer two for transaction speed later. And in fact, Ethereum's doing it uh, as late as possible because they're rolling onto Ethereum 2.0, which will really improve the network a lot um, but you've got to wait, you know, still two or three years for that to complete. And in the meantime, the network's still going to have high fees and the same kind of issues that it comes across. Um, well, yes, Ethereum layer twos are also live, like optimistic rollups and, and ZK snarks. But if any games developers are listening, they've clearly already switched off because it's just far too technical and they aren't going to do it until someone packages it up potentially. Um, but even then, you have questions around the base layer asset, consumer access to that asset, how easy it is to on-ramp, etc. Meanwhile, you know, it came out today in the press, Goldman Sachs is looking for ways to offer Bitcoin products to retail consumers. Uh, the OCC in America has said that banks can run Bitcoin nodes, right? Like this is, Bitcoin is becoming accepted as money, right? If I wanted yeah. an asset, if I were an artist and I wanted to be paid in an asset that didn't depreciate and wasn't was actually a stable thing, right? I sell my art and I come and I come, you know, I, I come back to it three years later and it's actually preserved or even risen in value. Um, as we have seen it, it, in, the, in this NFT cycle, some of these NFTs link to, you know, the image itself, the, asset, the supposed asset links to a URL that can break and then the NFT becomes worthless, I, I guess. I don't want to really be too punitive on the market because like I said, I, I can see the appeal of this in the gaming world. Um, but it, were I an artist or a creative person, I would prefer to be paid in money 
and I would prefer to be paid in money that tends not to debase. In fact, has a 12-year history at this point of going up anywhere from 70 to 200% a year. Um, so, and, and, it's, and the volatility is decreasing. Right, the, this, the usage of, of, of that asset as a medium of exchange is great. So then that's like the kind of why do I want that to be the money layer piece of it, I guess. Mm -hmm. And then you said you can do NFTs on the Bitcoin protocol. And yes, that's true. So I mentioned that Ethereum tries to do a lot of what it's saying on the layer one, on the base layer of the protocol itself. That is, it puts the smart contracting into the money. Now, how can I make that sound like something simple? Right, so let's say Bitcoin is a, is a US dollar note, right? It's a, it's a note, it's just a piece of money. It can't do anything, but it's a piece of money. The miraculous thing is that it doesn't radically debase all the time um, and that it has all these digital things that make it easier to send around amongst your friends that you can't do with paper money. Um, Ethereum is money that can have rules baked into it and behaviors baked into it, right? So it could be a, a dollar note that can uh, automatically make itself do things. I mean, I'm radically simplifying, but just for the sake of it. What Bitcoin says is the Bitcoin ethos is more that you build in layers. And it's, it's very similar to network topology. Uh, and, I, and that's why um, Nick Batia's Layered Money book resonated with me so deeply. I came to Bitcoin from a network topology perspective, and he came to it from a monetary hierarchy perspective. And the marriage of those two is, as he has realized, and as I also believe, this is, this is just incredibly, sim they're in sync. It makes perfect sense. And so what Bitcoin does is it builds in layers and they built the store of value layer. The protocol itself is robust. It's got a 12 year history of not being hacked. Lots of institutions are starting to buy it. It's very stable. It doesn't change. It's predictable. The security of the network is growing. And then on top of that security, people are now building the new features. Layer two, as I've mentioned, is the Lightning Network for instant payments and a lot more kind of fun features like slapping a GIF on the, on the payment you send so you can send something funny, um, all this kind of stuff, putting it in instant messengers so you can instantly text money to people. That's incredibly profound. And again, just you only touch on it, but it's like, wow, you can text money to anyone in the world instantaneously today, yeah. um, independent of where they are, independent yeah. of the currency. The last thing is though that layer three is coming along. What's layer three? Smart contracting, right? It's coming and it's and it exists already on the liquid sidechain by Blockstream, which lets you create NFTs. Indeed, there is a game being developed called Infinite Fleet that uses NFTs native to Bitcoin. There is another game called Light Knight being developed by Satoshi's Labs. Um, which is Fortnite, but with, basically that's why it's called Light Knight. Uh, Fortnite style battle royale game where you can win and lose Satoshis, you can win and earn Bitcoin, and you also get assets, you get in-game items, special axes, special weapons, special skins that are all NFTs running on Liquid. Um, and that is again, native to Bitcoin. So this is very feasible today. Uh, and up and coming, you have a very exciting new uh, development, which is called RGB. Uh, and that's a, a kind of alternative to Liquid. It's, it's a few years away, so I wouldn't encourage games developers to get on it yet, but it's worth having awareness of today because it's coming. Uh, and that's going to allow essentially the, all of the same functionality as Ethereum, but with more scalability and more, and more privacy, ironically. But um, I don't think that matters in the context of this conversation. Um, so it's a, it's a long and roundabout way of saying, like, this is, I think, pe I, I think that it has not been... Um, 
really captured in the popular narrative or in the media narrative that uh, Bitcoin is capable of doing all of this. But for those that have been developing on the protocol and for those that work around the protocol, it is quite clear what is coming and it is quite clear just how enormous it is going to be. Um, and that people who haven't been reading about this, thinking about this or building on top of it should begin to perhaps think about it, at least start to look. Uh, it could it could generate, you know, it could cause life-changing things to happen to you in your own personal financial situation if Bitcoin continues to go the way it does. Um, but equally, it, it creates new and profound ways for users to interact on the internet, for players to have fun with each other, for virtual worlds to monetize, for the internet economy to self-actualize. Right? This is, it's really quite astounding what um, internet money that is supranational, that is owned by all of its users, it's really quite astounding what that will do. And I am certain, I am absolutely certain that in 30 to 50 years, uh, Bitcoin will be hailed as one of the most in incredible inventions of the 21st century. Mm. I feel like that was a mic drop moment. <laughs> um, yeah, I'll just, uh, I'll just go now. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, I do think that's actually a great place to conclude because that was a, you kind of brought everything together um, very nicely there, which, uh, which on the one hand kind of steals my thunder. Um, but on the other hand, um, you know, allows me to just end end on end on that note i think um well, thank you I you know that, i'm you know i'm really hardcore into this so it's like <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I, I, no this, yeah. this is why it's i mean you know the the i'm really happy that we started talking again about about bitcoin um because um you know on the one hand it's dangerous right because i am you know running a startup but you know you don't want to get you don't want to lose too much focus but Nonetheless, it's it you know it really comes back to me, you know how much you know I I genuinely wanted um, to do to bring together virtual worlds and the physical world, and I I'm doing it in a, from a commerce perspective with with what I'm trying to build. But then there's always that money aspect, and I think like you really start to see when you are building a game world and when you, even when you're trying to yourself layer a virtual dimension on top of the physical world, there's always that money question. You know, we have Aglet, we have gold Aglet, but there's really no reason why, um, you know, using, using Zebedee that uh, perhaps that we, you know, you, you can check into a station and, and then what you find is a nice little gift of, you know, a hundred, you know, a hundred sats or, you know, just the ability to integrate that into the game as, as an additional dimension or additional layer to the game is, it, it came up, is, I started thinking about that more intensely, like as you and I started talking about Bitcoin. So I appreciate that you sort of like a prodigal son, you know, kind of, I, I was brought back to the, brought back to the light. Um, and, um, you know, I'm really thinking pretty deeply about all of this at the moment and, and, and figuring out how to, how to, how to be ahead of the curve on this. So, Look, I, um, yeah. I do spend yeah. a lot of time. I sympathize with your curiosity. Very, I mean, I'm obviously so deep into this, and I think um, games designers will do a better job of. Oh, Ben went on mute. I went on mute. That's classic. Uh, yeah, games designers will come up with better ways than me of um, of implementing Bitcoin in novel and amazing ways in games. Um, but I do, you know, I, I 
this is this is very Bitcoin heavy. I am very Bitcoin heavy, of course. It's it's clear from this conversation, but I do want to say that this doesn't come from a position of of uh, really you know dissing on the other networks. It's more that I I try to look at this from the perspective of if I were a games developer and I were seeing all of this news about uh, crypto, about blockchain, about NFTs, about blockchain games, uh, what would you know? What would I think? And I hope I hope that this has been helpful uh to help you know to clarify some thinking with one perspective it's not the perspective but it is one perspective and i i do believe that um it will be many games developers who do build a top bitcoin will be astounded by what it does uh for yeah. them for the games for the audience it draws in the engagement on on the game zebedee has built and on zebedee's counter-strike servers is just incredible it is just it's 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 absolutely next level Right. And this is, um, and this is just the start. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, to, you know, to recap, I, I think we, we wanted to do this because, um, both of us, I think probably you, you, obviously you before me, um, but now I've kind of come around is really thinking about Bitcoin in games, but also just Bitcoin and games and the ways in which, mm. um, you know, that, that money layer is, uh, this really is the, you know, the money of the metaverse or the money for the on life world, as, as I call it. Um, and, um, you know, that was kind of a, a, a tour de force of, uh, of a number of really interesting topics. And I hope that um, I hope you guys uh, take away a number of things from this and can go explore it on your own. Show notes are going to be loaded this time with with a lot of links. Um, you know, Ben did mention uh, a, a number of different games that you can go uh, mess around with and play, you know, Zebedee's um, yeah, Bitcoin Rally, you have Turbo 84 that he mentioned, which are mobile games, Bitcoin Bounce. Um, and then um, uh, you mentioned well, you, you uh, had Light, the, um, You had the, uh, you did the Bitcoin sneaker contest in Aglet, right? And you had- uh, Exactly. Those, we those also are going to be dropping uh, in store. And uh, so they'll be in your game. And that, didn't, the, right. didn't the guys who designed that, didn't the winner get 10, 10K sats or something? Didn't they get exactly. some Satoshis? You just There's keep, a creative you just economy keep, for you. Just you just keep rolling on my thunder, man. <laughs> I'm sorry. Out. That's what I was. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, it's what I want to conclude with is that, you know, we are, you know, Zebedee is great. I agree. Um, they're, they're really amazing guys, super smart guys doing some very cool stuff. And, um, you know, I hope we can further integrate uh, Zebedee and, and working with that SDK and finding some cool stuff that we can do. In addition to even, you know, having an aglet, uh, you know, billboard in Bitcoin rally, of course. Um, but um, look, dude, I think this was, uh, this was amazing. It was um, very informative. I hope it was informative for our listeners. Um, like I said, I'm going to load up the show notes um, with links. Um, you know, the Litecoin white paper was mentioned. I'll, I'll, I'll throw that in there. So <laughs> I think this is a, I think this is a really cool opportunity for a lot of you to, to go a little bit deeper and start hopefully unlocked a kind of different, different lens on thinking about Bitcoin is not just this kind of speculative asset only, you know, that this mm. we're entering, like you said, we're kind of coming out of beta, hopefully going to a point where uh, Bitcoin will become this on life money. It will become money in games. You can take that out of games and the same currency that you earn in one of your favorite games, that exact same currency you could use to probably hopefully buy something uh, in the real world. 
Um, right. So I have bought of... a t-shirt with my winnings from Counter-Strike. I, I can attest to it being real. There we go. Real. See, it yeah. works. This is not, uh, not fantasy. But um, Ben, thanks a lot, man. I'm sure we'll have, uh, by popular demand, um, episode three, or the third layer of this. Um, I've run out of things this. to say at this point. I'm, I'm, going, I'm drifting okay. back into anonymity now, but, th but thank, oh, okay. thank you for having me. <laughs> no, very, thank you for having me very much. That's, uh, I was, I'm pleased to have been able to get a, a lot of this off my chest as I've been thinking about it quite deeply. And obviously, we've been sharing a lot of that thought. Yeah. You've, been, you've been really helpful in uh, also helping me think it through as have another of other games developers I've spoken to. And um, yep. I hope that this has been informative. That, that would be yep. all I'd say. Right. Cool, man. Well, we always conclude, though. I can't let you go without um, sharing a couple of things that you're reading. We always, uh, we always conclude with sharing a couple of books that, uh, you're either, that are either sitting there and you want to read them um, or that you're actually reading. I know you mentioned Nick's book a couple of times, but uh, I'm, I'm yeah, sure you're, you're, you're I said that. that I said that last time, so I'm, I'm going to have to change. But still, buy Laird Money and read it if you haven't. It's very, very good. But then uh, I think I've, I think I've got a reading list from you that I still I still <laughs> need to uh, to dive into. But I'd say um, probably top of my reading list uh, next is uh, was it the one Gamer Theory that you recommended? Yeah, yeah, the McKinsey Word book. Yeah, Gamer Theory. Yeah, that's uh, that's that's next up, um, and I, I, I'm also uh, reading Bitcoin for Dummies. I found that on Amazon. It's quite useful. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. I was just looking at this. I have BitTorrent for Dummies here, which is <laughs> super old. Um, Wait, brought this with me, where nobody can see me right now. But I actually just got up. This is so old here. Oh wow! Yeah, um, that's probably illegal now. Probably, yeah. Piracy yeah, for so. dummies. <laughs> yeah, 2006. Yeah, IP theft for morons. <laughs> yeah, this is. Uh, this was super helpful for me. Anyway, cool. Um, all right, let's uh, we wrap it up and uh, thank you guys for listening. And uh, yeah, hope you guys go and check out and dive deep and go down the rabbit hole on a lot of this stuff. Um, pretty clear, this is where things are going. So. Um, thanks a lot, Ben, and uh, I'll be back on soon, I imagine. Ciao. Ciao.